Thanks so much, Dinesh and Nitha, and good morning, a Hope Church family, as we are uh, connecting online and in small groups of 10 around the facility today. Uh, we're celebrating the, uh, the partnership with a new church within the Great Commission Collective. This is not a, a church plant, but a church in the Chicago area that has chosen to uh, join the Great Commission Collective, and we're celebrating with them uh, this Sunday. It's Grace Family Church. The, pastor, the pastor's name there is Jorge uh, Rodriguez. And so we're praising God uh, for a, a new ministry partner in the Great Commission Church. And so uh, we're praying uh, for them today. Today we're going to be talking about a small collection of eight muscles. The only eight muscles in the entire human body that are not connected to the muscular system. They, they take up a space about two to three inches in the human body. This this this. This part of our body actually leaves a unique print, just like your fingerprints. You can, you can take a print of this a particular part of our body. Some of us can form it into a clover shape or curl it. Some of us can use it to touch our nose or to roll our R's. Today, of course, I'm talking about the tongue. Our scripture passage as we're going through the book of James is all about words. The title for today's message is Wisdom About Words. And here's what we're going to find today. If you have a tongue then you have a problem. If you're listening right now and you have a tongue, then that means that you have a problem. Proverbs chapter 18 verse 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. This past week, I was uh, sitting down with, a, with a, a, a more seasoned, more experienced pastor who was helping some of our elders uh, work through a, a particular a problem or situation that we were facing. And he said, you know, we, we say sticks and stones may break our bones, but names will never hurt me. He says, no, that proverb should actually go like this. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but death and life are in the power of the tongue. You see, the problem is, because the tongue is only, it's only three inches. It's, it's just this small little part of our body. We underestimate the power of our words. And James here, in chapter 3, verses 1 to 2, tells us about the significance of our Words. We even think about how the whole Bible comes together as it relates to words. It begins with a God who speaks, a God who uses words. He said, let there be light. He spoke the universe into existence. And then he created man and he, he used words to bless them. And he declared that they were created in his image. He brought all of the animals before Adam in the garden. And Adam used words. He used his tongue to name them. As soon as Adam laid eyes on his beautiful bride Eve, he spoke poetry to her and said, This at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Words are powerful. Then Satan slithered in with his serpent sp split poisonous tongue and he started speaking words, speaking lies about who God is and what his purpose was for Adam and Eve. Then we have, then we, we, we see all throughout the story of the Bible words being used. 
And one of the most powerful expressions of words in Scripture is when, is when Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, has this vision of God in the temple. We're familiar with this. The train of his robe is filling the temple. The cherubim are using words to declare God's holiness. And what does Isaiah say? He says, woe is me. I am ruined. And then what does he say? He says, I am a man of unclean lips. When Isaiah is in the presence of a holy God, the thing that immediately comes to mind is his tongue, his words. So what we're going to see today is that if you have a tongue, you have a problem. That sticks and stones may break your bones, but death and life are in the power of the tongue. We're going to get a spiritual anatomy lesson about the tongue and how it works. Here's the first thing that I want us to understand. The first of three truths about the tongue today. The first is this. The tongue is disproportionately powerful. It's disproportionately powerful. Before James gets into explaining the power of the tongue in proportion to the rest of the human body, he begins in verse 1 by saying, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Okay, um, does anyone else want to take over uh, for the rest of the, the message today? This is, this is I, I'm not a real, anyone at home, you could, how quickly could you get over here to 77.55, a tenth line? Uh, I'd really prefer not to continue on in light of what verse 1 says. That the truth is, those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Over the last four or five months, I've been working with a group of 10 or 12 Bible teachers in our church. We've been taking a course together at Heritage College and Seminary. And on the first day of the class, I'm kind of acting as the TA. And in, in the first lab or the first seminar discussion, I took them to James chapter 3 and verse 1. And I gave them all an out. I said, hey, you're, you're venturing in right now to some dangerous territory that, that we ought not to enter into the position of teaching lightly. Here's why. Well, simply because what, what we're told in Proverbs 10 of verse 19, that when, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, just statistically speaking, because if you have a tongue, you have a problem. The more you use that tongue, the more likely you're going to have problems. And so a teacher is regularly teaching. You, you could go through a whole worship service and, and not open your mouth and no one would notice. You could choose not to sing. You could choose not to speak to anyone. But if you're the one who's supposed to preach that day and you choose to say nothing, that's a problem. And so when words are many, transgression is not lacking. And so that is a challenge for those who are teachers. Jesus also said in Luke 12 of 48, he said to everyone, to everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Teachers are entrusted with additional responsibility, not to teach their words, but to teach God's word. And with that responsibility comes accountability. Now, I just want to be careful though. 
Because if you think you're 100% off the hook from having James chapter 3, verse 1 apply to you, you may not be in a formal teaching position, and that is what James chapter 3 is about. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, keeping your mouth closed is really not an option. Because we're all supposed to fulfill the Great Commission. I mean, the mission of our church is to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. In the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Teaching! We're all supposed to participate in the Great Commission, which means we're all supposed to participate in teaching in some way, shape, or form. We're to tremble at God's Word. We're to make sure that what we are teaching only is coming from God's Word and not our opinions. But James begins, as a teacher, speaking to those who might aspire to be Bible teachers and just said, hey, be careful, be cautious. Because there's great responsibility that comes with that role. And then he expands in verse 2. He says, we all stumble in many ways. He knows that we are all guilty of various sins. If anyone thinks they have no sin, they deceive themselves. 1 John chapter 1 verse 8 says, we all stumble in many ways. Verse 2. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man able also to bridle his whole body. James has already been talking a lot about talking. Uh, In in chapter 1, verse 19, he says that we're supposed to be quick to hear and slow to speak and and slow to become angry. Do you remember that? And then in chapter 1, verse 26, he says that if our religion is worthless, if we can't bridle our tongues. And now James here is using that word perfect again that he's used in chapter 1, verse 4. The Greek word is teleos. He uses it over and over again, this word for maturity. He says that if someone can control their tongue, then they are a mature believer. If they can control their tongue, then they can control their whole body because the tongue is disproportionately powerful. Proverbs 21, verse 23, sums uh, this truth up nicely. Proverbs 21 says, Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. It's a small part of our body, but it is disproportionately powerful. Then James outlines for us three illustrations to give us a picture of how powerful the tongue is over our entire lives, even though... It's so seemingly small and insignificant. Look with me at verse 3. It says, If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. We put these bits in horses right right into their mouth. Those, Those bits, I had to look this up this week, those bits weigh about one to two pounds. This tiny little bar that goes into the horse's mouth where we attach the reins, it weighs two pounds. And it enables us to control an animal that weighs somewhere between 900 and 2,000 pounds. A creature that can run at 88 kilometers per hour. I mean, passing most people in the right lane on the Highway 401. And little two-pound, tiny little thing can control that entire creature. James says the tongue is like that. 
It it seems so small, and yet it has such power. He goes on in verse 4. Look at what he says. He says, look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot Direct. So he, he goes from the, the field to the horses out, out at sea. And he says, think about these big ships. And what was true in, in nautical design and shipbuilding in James Day is true for us. I mean, even the aircraft carriers in the United States Navy. I mean, some of these aircraft carriers are a thousand feet long. Just, just think about that. A thousand feet long. These aircraft carriers have a rudder. Some of them have two rudders. But these rudders, the ship is 1,000 feet long. The rudder is 20 feet by 30 feet. The whole thing turns on such a tiny little rudder. Disproportionately powerful. Then look at at verse 5. It says, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a fire is set ablaze by such a small fire. A a, a massive forest fire can can be started by by just a small fire. On May the 29th in 2011, two campers lit a campfire in the Wallow Bear Wilderness Area area in Arizona. They were just camping, just, just one night out camping. They lit a campfire. That fire burned for 40 days. This one little fire that started at one little campsite burned for 40 days. It burned up 500,000 acres of forest. It produced a smoke cloud that billowed 30,000 feet into the air. It cost $72 million to put this fire out back in 2011. $37 million to repair all of the damage and to clean it up. One campfire, 500,000 acres, 40 days, over $100 million in cost to put it out and to clean up the mess. That's what the tongue is like. It's disproportionately powerful. We, we think, oh, I, I, you know, I said it, but I didn't mean it, but you said it. We, we often just, we often speak without thinking, without realizing that just that one little word, that extra adjective, that, that speaking out of turn, the damage that can be done. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but death and life are in the power of the tongue. Then if you look at verse 6, it says, and the tongue is a fire. So this is the main thing. You know, every New Testament author has a different writing style. We've, we've learned as we've studied the book of James how James loves to bridge and build. He uses one word at the end of a sentence to sort of, sort of wrap up a concept, and then he bridges. He repeats that word again. He did it with the word lacking 
in chapters 1, verse 4 and 5. He did it with the implanted word and being doers of the word in chapter 1, verse 21 and 22. He, used, he did it with the word religion in chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. He did it with the word law in chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. In chapter 2, verse 10 to 12. He's bridging and he's building. He just introduced the idea of fire. Now he's going to take fire in a different direction. Fire was used as sort of the last analogy to show that the tongue is disproportionately powerful. Now he's going to use fire to explain what what is our second point in today's message is this, that the tongue is uncontrollably destructive. It's uncontrollably destructive. That, That fire there in Arizona, it started small, but then the... The, the firefighters, the, the, the officials were unable to contain or to control it. It was, it was uncontrollable. The wind would blow it in one way or in another. They couldn't predict where it was going to go. That is what the tongue is like. It's destructive. He says in verse 6, the tongue is a fire. Not only is the tongue destructive, it's permanently destructive. You can't unburn something. There's, there's no backspace when it comes to fire. There's, there's, no, there's no control option uh, escape. There's no control alt delete. There's no starting. There's no, well, you know, our house burned down, but it's okay. We just unburned it. No, the damage is done. It's permanent. You can't change it. It's irreversible. Then he goes on in verse 6, he says, it is a world of unrighteousness. It's a world. It's like a whole planet with its own creatures and its its own ecosystem of evil. You think about how scientists are, are studying still today, discovering things about the world in which we live in. And the depth of what the tongue can do, the kind of destruction, the kind of evil, the kind of unrighteousness and wickedness that can come from our tongue, it's a world. I mean, this sermon's going to be hopefully, you know, 35 or 40 minutes, but we could go on for years talking about the kind of damage that talking can do. It is a world of unrighteousness. Then in verse 6, He says, the tongue is, sorry, he goes on in verse 6, the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Staining. Again, the sense of permanence. You know, you've got a a white carpet with with grape juice on it. You've got got, um, uh, oil or or gasoline on your your work clothes. These are grass stains on track pants. I know a lot about that with four boys at home. There are some stains that are just, once they're there, they're there. Like, good luck trying to get that out. Baking soda, club soda, Murphy's oil, vinegar, whatever you want. That stain's not going anywhere. It's permanent. You can't unburn something and you can't take that stain once you can't take it out. This is what the tongue does. Now just just stop for a minute. Because if if it hasn't already come to mind, I'm sure it's going to in the next little while. So let's just have it out right now. What words are coming to mind for you? I know, I know I'm going somewhere difficult right now. 
But really, seriously, for me, I can think back to things that, like, silly things my peers said to me in grade six that I'm still not over. That for whatever reason, I I can remember hardly anything about my life when I was younger, but I can remember some hurtful things that my friends said to me. What are some things, what are some words that have been spoken to you or about you that have left a stain? Where have you been burned by words where you, you there's, there's no unburning, there's no stain removal, it's, it's, it's just there. And every once in a while, it just circles back, and you can hear it as clear as day. And then think about those times where you know you were the one that was saying the thing that burned someone or that stained someone. Did it enter into your mind that when you were thinking about how you've been wounded by words in the past that someone else watching right now or listening right now, when they're thinking about wounds in the past, they're actually thinking about something that you said? I mean, I mean, things I that <laughs> things I've said to family, to friends, promises that have been broken. Lies that were told, insults that, that were given, insensitive comments. It, it leaves a stain. It burns and it can't be unburned. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but death and life are in the power of the tongue. When it came out of our mouths, it seemed like such a small thing. And yet it has such a massive result. In verse 6, he says that the, the tongue is setting on fire the entire course of life. The entire course of life is, you know, birth and then being a little toddler and then a, a, then a, a, a little boy or a little girl growing up into a, a teenager and then a man and a woman and then getting old. The whole course of life, there's this continual raging fire, this uncontrollable force of the tongue in our lives from right when we're very young, hurtful words, harmful words. All the way until we are in old age, hurtful words, harmful words. You know, the older that I get, the the, the more I I discover there's, you know, muscles I didn't even know that I have, but now I know I have them. I'm not a very muscular person. I know I have them because they're sore now. You know, there there are certain muscles in in our bodies that we're pretty much all muscles in our bodies. As we get older, they get more sore. We're not able to use them the way that we used to. We're not as strong as we are. Our arm muscles aren't as strong. Our leg muscles aren't as strong. All of our muscles over time, the older that we get, our muscles get weaker except a collection of eight muscles in three inches in our mouths called the tongue. The tongue never stops. It, the, 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 
power and the capability to destroy is constant from, from when we utter our first words to when we utter our last. It sets on fire the entire course of our lives. There are certain sin struggles that we have when we're really young, certain sin struggles we have you know, when you're, when you're a little bit older and then even on into older age. But there is one sin struggle that is constant over the entire course of life. And that is sins of speech and sins of the tongue. Listen, no one is off the hook for this message. Some messages, you know, you think, oh, that's for someone else or, or this doesn't really apply to me. This message is for everyone. The entire course of life. Picking up on the theme of fire at the end of verse 6, he says it's the, it's the fire, of, it's setting on fire, the entire course of life set on fire by hell. The main way Satan wants to tempt us is through our tongues. The fire of hell is behind it all. Every time we open our mouths as followers of Jesus Christ, we have to, understand, we have to ask ourselves, am I going to speak on behalf of heaven or am I going to speak on behalf of hell? Am I going to speak according to the spirit and wisdom from above or am I going to speak according to the flesh? What kind of words am I going to allow come, to come out of my mouth? Look at verse 7, it says, For every kind of beast and bird of, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. I mean, it's true. Elephants and lions and tigers, orca whales. I already mentioned horses. These massive, dangerous, huge animals can be tamed. But verse 8 says, No human being can tame the tongue. It's untamable, uncontrollably destructive. No human. So back in verse 2, he says, if someone can control their tongue, they're mature, they're perfect, they're teleos. But that, now James is saying, listen, that person just doesn't exist because no one, no human being can tame the tongue. He says it's a restless evil in verse 8 full of deadly poison. It's restless. It won't be still. We can't tame it. We can't control it. It's restless and it's full of deadly poison. It's a fire. It's a poison. It's destructive. So the tongue is disproportionately powerful. It's uncontrollably destructive. And then lastly, it's frustratingly inconsistent. It's frustratingly inconsistent. Verse 10 says, For from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Oh, sorry, going back to verse 9, I skipped over a verse. It says, With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Now verse 10, for from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. 
The tongue is frustratingly inconsistent because death and life are in the power of the tongue. Blessing and cursing can come out of the same mouths. We're, we're inconsistent. The tongue reveals our utter hypocrisy. James here nails it when he says, with our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. But then with it, we curse other creatures, fellow human beings who are made in the image of the very God that we just use our mouths to bless. How many of us, how many of us have left small group or left church, you know, an online Zoom meeting or something like that, and, and, and blessed the Lord and talked about following Him and sang songs and, and engaged in worship, used your mouths to build up the body of Christ? And then how many of us went online then, onto social media, saw something that we didn't like that was happening in the world, and then just went and blasted someone? How many of us, when, we're, when we've been able to gather, we sing songs all together and then we gossip and plant seeds of division about one another in the foyer. James says, brothers, this ought not to be so. This isn't the way we are supposed to live. We, we, we bless our Father with our tongues, and that's great, but we also need to make sure that we bless our fellow human beings who are made in His image. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then He said, and the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. But really, when you think about it, when you understand the Imago Dei, when you understand the significance of human beings being created in the image of God, you really only need one commandment. Because if you are going to love God, then flowing out of that love for God is going to be your love for your neighbor. Because every time you see your neighbor, you see a reflection of the image of the God that you love. James says, this is not how it ought to be. But loved ones in the church in North America in 2021, this is how it is. And it's got to change. James levels with us here with, with more illustrations. He, he says in verse 11, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Again, remember, every time we're studying the book of James, just about every chapter can be tied back to the Sermon on the Mount, to the teaching of James' older half-brother. And remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 16 and 19. I'll, I'll share it with you on the screen here. Jesus said, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? That sound familiar? James is just quoting his, his big bro. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. James here is trying to cut through our self-deception and reveal the inconsistency and the duplicity in how we use our tongues. These are irreconcilable opposites. You can't have figs and olives growing on the same tree. You can't have grapes and figs growing on the same vine. Figs don't grow on vines. 
You can't have fresh water and salt water coming from the same place. James says we got to make this right. When we open our mouths, are we going to speak being led by the Spirit? Or are we going to speak being led by the flesh? Loved ones, this is not how it ought to be. You don't watch Champions League soccer and for the first half cheer for Chelsea and then the second half cheer for Manchester City. You don't do that. You don't watch the NHL playoffs and in the first period cheer for the Toronto Maple Leafs and in the second and third period cheer for the Montreal Canadiens, let alone overtime. But anyway, you got to choose your side. You got to choose you got to choose what kind of a person you're going to be. Are you going to be inconsistent? Are you going to be duplicitous? Or are you going to be filled by the Spirit? And are you going to bless the Father and bless those who are created in His image? And now the truth is, loved ones, that all of us know, all of us know, James has already said, no human being can tame the tongue. And so the standard that he is setting here is so seemingly impossible. He's exposed of all of our hypocrisy. He's, he's exposed all the damage that has been done to us and that we have done to others with our mouths, with the tongue. No human being can tame the tongue. No human being who is only a human being can tame the tongue. Because loved ones, there is a human being who is the Son of God, who is 100% God and 100% human, the one who was called in John chapter 1, the one who was called the Word. And the Word became flesh. And when that human being opened his mouth, his tongue was always bridled. His words were always tamed. The rudder was always being steered in the right direction. The fire was burning in control. The, the bit was in the horse's mouth and leading it and directing it in the right direction. So much so that when soldiers were sent to arrest Jesus in John chapter 7 by the Sanhedrin, they came back without Jesus and the Sanhedrin said, where is the guy we just sent you to arrest? And this is what they said, John 7, 46. They said, no one ever spoke like this man. We speak words that are destructive. We speak words that are an uncontrollable fire. We speak words that leave a stain, that break hearts and ruin spirits, that destroy relationships these are the kinds of words that we spoke, but no one ever spoke like this man. No one ever spoke like Jesus Christ. And so if, like I am, you're convicted right now over the things that you've said and how out of control your tongue so often is. And if you're 
if memories of hurtful words that you've said or that have been said to you are sort of flooding your mind right now as you think about the the disproportionate power of the tongue and how uncontrollable and destructive it is and how hypocritical all of us have been in our words. We need to understand that the one who never spoke like anyone before, Jesus the Word who is the Son of God, we need to hear these words that he spoke on the cross. He said in John 19 verse 30, he said, it is finished. And loved ones, so all of the shame and the, and the brokenness that, that, that we feel because of hurtful words that have been spoken about us or to us at different times, we, we need to hear the voice of Jesus saying, it is finished. What those people said about you, it doesn't matter. What matters is what I say about you. And then when we're filled with, with guilt and with conviction over the different things that we've said to people who we love, and we know that we've hurt them, and we know the damage that has been done by our very words, loved ones, we can also hear the words of our Savior say, it is finished. When we think about the lying and the boasting, when we think about the the belittling or the use of foul language, when we think about the the name calling, when we think about the, the racial slurs, when we think about broken promises and curses, when we think about gossiping and slandering, when we think about profanity and complaining and grumbling, when we think about judging, when we think about innuendo and it and, and, and flattery and vulgarity, when we think about all of these different sins of of the tongue, all of these things that have been spoken to us or and come into our ears or that have gone out of our mouths that we can never take back. Loved ones, we've got to hear the words of Jesus who says, it is finished. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but death and life are in the power of of the tongue. And death and life is decided by the one who conquered death and rose to life and promises to give us the gift of eternal life. If we would admit, if we would use our mouths to confess our sin, if we would use our mouths to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and, if, and to believe that he died on the cross for our sins and use our mouths to commit to follow him as Lord and Savior, loved ones, that stain can be removed. That damage can be undone by the one who has power over the tongue, by the one who has power over death and life, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray to him now. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you by your Spirit. We come to you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, Lord. Thankful for your word, God. Your word speaks so clearly. that This this letter was written 2,000 years ago. It's like it could have been written yesterday. It so accurately describes 
how in desperate need we are of your help in controlling our tongue, of your grace in, in as we look back on things that we have said or things that have been said to us. Lord, if there's anyone watching or listening right now that is not yet a follower of you, Lord, I pray that they would use their tongue right now in this moment to admit that they're a sinner, to believe that you are the Son of God who died in their place, and to commit to follow them, to follow you as Lord. God, help us. Help us not to speak according to the flesh, but help us, help us to love and to speak according to your Spirit. God, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.